seated. Amen. If you are grade six and up to eight, I think, you are more than welcome to head on out. And uh, we have our youth program. Now, I think we do. Zach, do we know if we do or not? Because there's no youth leaders here, so you might have to just sit and wait with me. Head up there to where you go. If there's someone there, great. If there's not, I'm trusting you to come back here. (laughs) Uh, Welcome, everybody. Uh, Yeah, Phil is obviously, we've mentioned a few times, at Arctic. He's on his way back. Today, I am talking about uh, David and Goliath and Jesus. This interesting story about how we get from David and Goliath. Sometimes, I I won't touch on it too much. I won't try to get into it too much, get into the weeds. But how do we get from a story like David and Goliath and get into Jesus? You'll see later what the uh, verse of the day is on, uh, uh, on this Epiphany Sunday. And on this Sunday, what the verse is, is how do we match these things up? So a big part of what David and Goliath and Jesus is all about is no longer being slaves to fear. No longer being slaves to fear. And as we see this play out... We will see an interesting, I think, a little bit interesting how it works in the Old Testament as opposed to how it might work with Jesus now. So fear is interesting. Fear is actually, can sometimes be fun. As in when I am sneaking up my kids and they're watching a movie and I scare them, that is a very fun experience for all of us involved. Well, at least it's fun for me. Because that power that I have and that excitement. You know, there's a physiological thing that happens with fear. And uh, we know the fight or flight. Now, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. But I read something on the internet this week that tells me this. So this is what happens. When you get scared, that fight or flight comes in. Your, your blood. Now, if, if you're a doctor here, correct me after. Not right now. Because that will be embarrassing. It won't help me. Um, but what happens is your blood rushes away from your heart. This is why you don't scare grandma and grandpa. Your blood rushes away from your heart and into your limbs because you're ready to fight. And I, I, I know that because sometimes I scare my wife and she will punch me directly after that. She won't even think about it. Just the punches come flying. And uh, we were watching a movie and there was a bit of a jump scare. And if you are able to, for a moment, when you have a jump scare next time you're watching a movie, try to feel the sensation in your fingers and your feet. It's like the blood rushes to those points of you. It's amazing. So what happens when you get fear? You get this, your your blood rushes to your limbs because you're ready to fight, you're ready to punch. You get tunnel vision, and all you can do is concentrate on what is bringing you that fear. And your hearing goes down. Your hearing kind of like contracts, and you can't hear for a moment, and all you do is concentrate solely on the thing in front of you. That is why fear is so powerful. It's such a controlling way to do things. That is why we see throughout this world, we see people bringing fear into situations to allow that fear to control a situation. Because when you're scared, all you can do is concentrate on what is in front of you. Your hearing goes down, your blood rushes away from your heart, and you are just tunnel vision in on what is scaring you. It's interesting, but it's also powerful. Because fear is when we lose control, and our sense of security is lost, and our sense of belonging is threatened. I want to, before we go into this, now if 
if there is if there is something first of all if you are in a controlling relationship that is bringing fear please um, seek some help seek some counsel that is most first and foremost that we want to get out of the way is it's important for all of us to seek proper counsel when there is a controlling situation going on um, the second thing is I have I have this wonderful friend that I meet with weekly almost for coffee he used to go to Glenmore Church and uh, and we continue to meet weekly and he's an old army vet he was in Bosnia and he was in Afghanistan and the stories that he was a medic in those places and the stories that he tells me absolutely would it causes me to cringe it causes me to stop and just the stories that he's heard the stories that he's seen the things that he's seen the death and destruction that he's seen overseas in these wars is unbelievable and as he sits with his, his, his army veterans, his friends, and they come crying and they're trying to cope, they're trying to figure out how to deal with the fear and trying to deal with the control and how to deal with things that are directly in front of them. He's found his way through the Bible. He's found his way through prayer. He's also found his way through walking to be able to cope with these things. But people that have gone through this understand, and PTSD is real, that it's hard to get away from fear. It's hard to get away from the mountain that is in front of you. And so as we talk through these things, it's, it's, it's fascinating to see how he can start to step away, but also help other people step away. So we're going to get into the story of our David and Goliath. Now David and Goliath, uh, when, when Phil says, hey, you're going to talk on David and Goliath, I think he's thinking, hey, easy one. It's exciting. And I guess it is. But nothing's easy in my mind. You know, we got these Mount Rushmore. Can I be American for a second? We have a Mount Rushmore. And uh, let's pretend we have a Mount Rushmore uh, at, where do we have a hill around here? We got lots of hills around here. On Black Mountain, we got a Mount Rushmore. We have a Mount Rushmore of biblical characters in the Old Testament. And, and David would be, I think, on that Mount Rushmore of biblical characters. And if we had a Mount Rushmore of biblical stories, I got to think that David and Goliath would be near the top. Everybody knows this story. We've all heard it. We've all had the flannel graphs when we were kids. We've all seen, and we kind of, if you go back and read this, did anybody read this story this week in preparation? Hey, awesome, good work. It's a bit intense, isn't it? It's a bit extra. And so as you read this story, you realize, man, how does this work with Jesus? How does this work with mercy? How does this and this get along? But I want to tell you, first of all, this story is here, and it's here for a reason, and it's a good story. So as we go into it, it's interesting. We're going we're gonna to see Goliath. If you want to open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17, I'm going to read through the story, but not the whole story, because I told you, it's long, and we don't want to, it would just be, it would be very interesting, but then we'd be done. So we're going to read through a little bit, and, uh, and we're going to get through it. First of all, fear is a tool that is used to win battles. And how we respond to fear is the great signifier in who and where we put our trust. There's a division in this story between the faithful person and the unfaithful person. The faithful response of David and the unfaithful response of different people in this story. So let's read a little bit. The Philistines now muster their army for battle and their camp between I won't say the words because I can't really read them that well. But they, uh, they're, they're camped between two places. There's two hills and there's a valley between them. 
And so I'm not much on my army history, but if you, uh, if you are on top of a hill, you're in a good place, and if you're at the bottom of a hill, you're in a bad place. So both these armies decided to be on top of two separate hills, and there's a valley and a river in between them because they know that if they stay up top and then, and then the other army comes down, they're at a disadvantage as they climb back up the hill, and they will be able to conquer that army. But they also know they're at that disadvantage if they do the same thing. So there's two sections of fear already taking place. If we stay here, we have the higher ground. We can inflict fear on them. Now the Philistines, they had an ace up their sleeve, Goliath. Goliath was a Philistine champion, and he came out of the Philistine ranks, and he was over nine feet tall. When I was a kid and I found out what nine feet tall was, I was a bit disappointed, if I'm honest with you. I was like, that's tall, but I was thinking 12, 15, 18, 20 feet tall. So 9 feet tall, almost 10 feet tall, possibly 11 feet tall. You know what the interesting thing is? There's a lot of interesting things. The other interesting thing is some reports have Goliath as tall as 6 foot 9. <laughs> that's a bit, it's a bit disappointing. I was like, come on, let's get taller, let's get bigger. Because as fear builds, legend builds. As something builds in your mind, as something builds in your heart, I'm not saying that David wasn't nine feet tall. We're going to go with nine feet tall. But there's a possibility that when you see something in front of you, that fear starts to build, and we start to create a big narrative around something that's in front of us, and it builds bigger and bigger and bigger. You know what I'm talking about. Legend grows because you get scared, all the blood rushes to your limbs, and you get tunnel vision, and you just see what's in front of you. What's happening to the Israelite army, they have forgotten that they are God's chosen people. They have forgotten that they are God's army, and they just see the one six foot nine, nine foot twelve, seventeen foot person in front of them, and they get scared. Fair enough, they get scared. Because Goliath says, I'm going to come in, and we're going to say, If you come and beat me, then we will be your slaves. And if I beat you, you'll be our slaves. There's a lot on the line at this point. And so when Saul and his Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Because they don't want to go into slavery. They, they know they don't have someone to beat this. They don't have someone to win in this battle. So they're worried. The fear builds and the legend builds and it starts to grow. And then from, it says in verse 16, For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. 40 days. You know what that means? Is that the mission was already accomplished. The Israelite people were already living in fear. They're already living in slavery because they could not move. They could not, they, they just saw the fear in front of them that hadn't actually done anything yet. And they were captivated by fear. They were captivated by what was in front of them. The Israelite army had forgotten already that they were God's chosen people, that they, that victory was theirs. And they stopped. They stood in fear. I want you to feel comfortable and feel free to uh, interpret the word fear into anything that you're going through. If you're going through pain, if you're going through heartache, if you're going through issues in different parts of your life, place that there. Because when we become enslaved to what's in front of us, that's not Jesus, we become slaves already. For 40 days, they were already slaves. For 40 days, they had, they had been taken captive. They were forgetting that they were God's army. Meanwhile, David was getting ready. David was off 
in his own. He's taking care of sheep. He had just been anointed, and he's, he's kind of taking care of the sheep still. He's still a shepherd, and his dad says, Jesse says, go on out to the people. Bring some cheese. You got to bring cheese. Always bring cheese with you. And so he brought the cheese to the people, and he got out there, and he joined them at the, at the, at the front lines. And as he was there, the, uh, the, you know, Goliath came on out again, and they, they headed on up. And as they reached the camp... The army was going back into battle for 40th day or whatever, and they started giving their war cries again. Like there was going to be something different happening this day. Do you know what I mean? So every day they would go back to their camp, they would settle in, they'd be like, man, that guy's big, we're not going to do anything. And then the next day, they would get up and they would do their war cries again. Hey, we're going to go do this. And they get there and they're like, ah, he's still really big. I can't quite do this. They're trying to muster up, they're trying to, to, to build up in their own power what they're going to do. They have completely forgotten that they're God's army. They walk up, they're like, yeah, we can do this, we can do this. Oh my goodness, he's so big. What are we going to do? And David gets there and he's like, hey guys, what's happening? And he goes to the front of the line, gives the cheese away, and he comes to the front of the line and, and he's, uh, he starts to investigate what's happening. He starts to ask questions. He starts to to be like, hey, this is interesting. Why can't you guys do something about this? You guys know we've already won the battle. And they said, no, 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 he's big. So he starts, he goes around asking questions. And he says, um, whenever, so whenever the Israelite army saw the man, they all fled. Now David asked around, what will be done and what will be given to the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? And they replied to him, they said, you'll, you'll have a wife, you'll have all these amazing things. And then his brother hears. And this is where it kind of gets to be responses of people hearing, responses of people in the face of fear. The response of the unfaithful say, how do I look in this situation? So when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard that David was asking questions about how to do this, talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyways, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to come and see the battle. See, what happened is Eliab saw what was in front of him, and he saw the fear that was in front of him, and that's all he could see, and then he wanted to take that fear, and he wanted to make himself bigger to bring that fear onto David. When we see fear, when we see something in front of us, when we see anger in front of us, we then take that anger and put it onto the next person. And it becomes perpetuated. It becomes circular cycle, and it becomes violence begets violence begets violence. And so his brother sees this fear, and he places it on David. He says, look, you can't do anything about this. Why are you trying? Why are you here? What are you thinking? So he passes the fear on. He makes it about himself, and he says, he passed the fear off. And then Saul comes into the picture, and he, he hears about David going around saying, I can do this, I got this. He says, don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight the, this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. You think, do you think Saul is kind of taking, do you think Saul really is taking care of David at this moment? You think, oh, man. You're a nice kid. This is for, they don't want you to die today. Saul doesn't care. Well, I think, <laughs> I presume. He's a man of war. There's a lot of death that goes on. 
What Saul is worried about is he's worried about his legacy. I can't send someone this young, this small into this to take care of my legacy. He's worried about himself. He's forgotten what God has done. He's forgotten that he is God's. And he says to, to David, you are an imposter. You can't do this. And what happens to unfaithful people is they become to have this imposter syndrome. This imposter syndrome is real because Eliab and Saul start to realize they can't win this fight. And they know that they're imposters. They know that they shouldn't be there. They shouldn't be doing things because they haven't given that over to God. And they have imposter syndrome. David comes in and he has no imposter syndrome. He's thinking this battle's won. We can do this. So the response of the faithful Instead of saying, how do I look? It says, how does God look? How does God look in this situation? David persisted. I have been taking, he talks to Saul and he says, he persisted. He says, I've been taking care of my dad's sheep and goats. And when a lion and bear comes and steals the lamb of the flock, I go after it with a club and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. And if the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. It's almost like one of those stories that, you know, like, some legend someone said, you know, I did this one time. Okay. He says, I've done this to both lions and bears. I'll do it again to this Philistine too. He has defiled the armies of the living God. And he says, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. He gives the victory at the beginning to Jesus. He gives the victory at the beginning to God. He says, we already have this victory. We don't need to stop anymore. We don't need to, we don't need to, to fret about this. Because he knows that the faithful person will say, how does God look in this situation? Whatever situation you're going through, we need to stop and we need to give it over to God and say, how do you look, God, in this situation? Not how do I look. How do you look? Whatever we go through in life, we say, God, how do you look? How can you be glorified? How can you be praised? How can you be loved? Not how do I look anymore. Because I know that we all have that temptation to bring it on ourselves. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. And David picks up five smooth stones. I wonder how many sermons have been preached on five smooth stones. It's a good title right there. And we're going to get to that a little bit more in a second, but David picked up five smooth stones for a reason. First of all, David had these beautiful abilities that God had given him to kill a bear and give a, kill a lion. He was tough. But the thing is, as we look at this story, we look at David as he goes into battle, and we want to see how does Jesus look in this story. And we start to see that this is a shadow of what's to come. We start to see that, that this moment in history is a battle that's fought. There's things happening. God's with them. But it wasn't what was intended in the garden. In the garden, this wasn't intended. There wasn't an intention for battles. There wasn't an intention for blood to be shed. There wasn't an intention for David to have to pick up five smooth stones to go bury it into, into Goliath's head. There was not that intention. This was a shadow of what was to come. 
Because we have David and we have Goliath and we have Jesus. We've heard the story before about, and we've heard the saying before, the war to end all wars. Talk to people in the Ukraine and Russia right now about the war to end all wars. There's no war to end all wars. There's no fight to end all fights. So as I read this story, how do we see Jesus in this story? How do we see the mercy? How do we see God's love? Because this was a shadow of what was to come. Because David got, went and he won the victory. He won the victory at that moment. And he went and the, the carrying on the story chops off his head. It's gruesome. It's ugly. It's violent. He brings the head to Jerusalem, places it there. It's, it's, it's a heavy story. But there's an elephant in the room about David's life that it wasn't perfect. It carried on. There was more bloodshed. There was difficulties. There was pain. As we go quickly through the pages of David and Saul's life, you see that the pages are littered with blood. Saul's blood, the Philistines' blood, the Moabites' blood. You see it all there. David, Bathsheba, and the killing of Uriah. Blood begets blood, violence begets violence. David wanted to go in, and David wanted to build the temple. The Second Chronicles, it talks about, in Second Chronicles 28, it says David wanted to build the temple, but he was unable to because he had shed too much blood. This was not ideal. This was a shadow of what was to come. And Jesus is what's to come. And the, and the prophecy talks about how one of your, how your sons or how your ancestors will build this temple. And then Solomon builds the temple. And how does Solomon build the temple? Solomon builds the temple with Hebrew slaves. Solomon builds the temple with Hebrew slaves. He, he employs Hebrew slaves. He builds the temples to foreign gods. Solomon builds Egypt. And it's tough to hear... But there's a reality to it. If Moses were to come along and see Saul, he'd be like, what is happening? I mean, Solomon, sorry. What is happening? We're just going back into where we were before because blood doesn't end things. It just perpetuates. So then we have to carry on, and we go to Matthew 1.1, and it says, I'm, that doesn't say that, <laughs> It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Jesus builds the final temple. This story is good, and it's supposed to be there, and it gives us courage. It gives us courage to, to understand that anybody can go into any fight when God's on their side for sure. But David took five stones. Why? Because he took five stones because the first one might not have worked, and he needs to carry on. He needs to keep firing stones. And he kept on firing stones. He kept on firing stones. And there was death and blood that ran through the land. And that was not the intention in the garden. And Jesus came to end that war and violence. Jesus came to bring peace. Jesus came to bring life. 1 John 3, 8 says, But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. How is he going to destroy the works of the devil? How is he going to destroy the works of fear caused by Goliath? 
There's a story that kind of reminds me as Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Reminds me a little bit about the beheading of Goliath. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it after the Romans had come to take Jesus away. And Simon Peter drew his sword and he struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. It's interesting, they put his name there. Their servant's name was Wachus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall not drink of the cup that the Father has given me. Peter wanted to start that war again. Peter wanted to bring that war again because the Romans were coming and they were going to stand up for their rights. They were going to bring that war on and we were going to defeat them because we have Jesus on our side now. He's going to bring the ultimate blood. And Jesus says no and he picks up that ear and he heals. He says, no, no, we're not going to be cutting anything off today. We're not going to be ending it this way today. Jesus ends things differently and ultimately on the cross. The temptation that Jesus was facing as he shed and he sweat bloods of, of sweat of sweat bloods of, and tears in the, in the garden of the Gethsemane was Satan was trying to get him to make his, his host of the blame and violence. Jesus, Satan was trying to get Jesus to host the virus of violence in his life. He was trying to get him to be the host of that retribution. The temptation of Jesus was to be, repay violence with violence. Satan was trying to get him to host that. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, not to do the works of the devil. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, not to do the works of the devil. So he went to the cross and he absorbs our sin of blame in violent death. And Jesus conquered Goliath by absorbing the violence, not repaying violence with violence on the cross. He went down into hell and he shook off the sin. He shook off the shame. He shook off everything that we could give him. And he said, no, we're not going to do it this way anymore. And he lays down his life. And then Jesus raises back from the dead. He, in the resurrection, he doesn't seek revenge. He comes and opens the gate of a new Jerusalem so that we could live as image bearers now. We can live as image bearers of Jesus we no longer have to fight fire with fire. We can lay down our lives and love in the name of Jesus. The verse today that I listened to and I read was Luke 6, 27. But to, who you, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other. Also, if someone takes your coat, do not, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do to those who are do to good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. We have a challenge in our world right now to love those who persecute us. The division in our world is running rampant. We cannot fight fire with fire anymore. We need to fight the way Jesus did by stopping and laying down our arms. And loving those 
Not allowing that fear to captivate us. Not allowing our hearing to go deaf. But to stop and take a step back. Like David, knowing that the battle has been won. But our battle has been won on the cross. Taking our sin into the depths of hell and leaving it there. And now we can walk in peace and love. Now we can walk in the name of Jesus. You cannot fight fear with fear. Fear will always win out. When you're at home, when you're in your life and you have a fear, when you have issues, when you have trouble staring you in the face, fight the urge to fight it back with fire and love your enemies. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We talk about worry. We talk about these things that grow in our minds. I want to encourage you today. Don't, do not worry about your life or what you eat or drink or about your body. What you will wear is not, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which has exceeded anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live as Christ Jesus. I'm going to finish off and I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death and sin and the power of the sin and the law, but the thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory is won. As you look and you stare fear in the face, as you look and you stare pain in the face, as you look and you stare all these difficulties that we are all going through, every single one of us is going through something. As we look and we stare in the face, we know that Jesus has won the victory. The cross has won the victory. His love has won the victory. Very truly, I tell you, I'm going to finish with this. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Now in your time of grief, but I, so with you, now in your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. We're going to take up our communion right now. And as we do that, I want to stop and reflect. On the end of Luke, 
the disciples had been following Jesus along, and they had been scattered at the cross. They had been scattered at the cross. They had run away. They had been fearing for their lives. As they ran away, Jesus had come back, and he had risen, and he was going through. And while they were still talking in the upper room, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts raise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they still did not believe because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? He gave them a piece of boiled fish, and they took it and ate it in their presence. They said to them, this is what I told you. While I was still with you, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me, the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scripture. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and raise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sin will be preached in the name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you. My Father has sent me. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. David took the head of Goliath and brought it to Jerusalem. But that's not what needed to be finished there. Jesus going to the cross. The disciples waiting in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came and infused them and lived with them. As you face your fears, as you face the pain in front of you, please, please remember to step back like David did. Remember that God is on your side. The battle has already been won. And as you walk into that battle, as you walk into that division, Jesus walks with you. You don't need five stones. You just need one, and that is Jesus. And he takes away pain. And as we all live in this world, we all understand that Jesus cares for us. As we take this today, I want to take a moment just to stop and reflect. Before we take this bread together and this juice together, I want us to stop with our eyes closed, our heads bowed, just picture your Goliath. As ugly as it is, picture it. Picture the original fear you might have had as you stared at your Goliath, as, as your ears stopped hearing, your tunnel vision became, became narrowed, and your limbs started to fill with blood, and you wanted to fight on your own. Take another step back. Now imagine Jesus standing with you. 
whispering to you, I've taken care of this. This battle is mine now. As we look to Jesus on the cross, we see him hanging there, loving his enemies, blessing those who curse him. take our bread in remembrance of him. We sit and look. We see the blood pour. does this for you and I so that we can be image bearers of him. So we could enter a relationship and enter eternity with him. Jesus, thank you for your blood poured out on the cross. Let's drink together. We're going to sing one last song and during this time, I want to encourage you, if you, if you want to pray with someone, one of the elders will come up here or I'll be around, and we can just pray. Pray for your Goliath, because that is how victory will be won, on our knees. Let's stand together.